0: Well, good evening. I'd like to thank you all for coming here. Um, I've been tasked with being the one who is to discuss the Sixth Commandment, and there are three uh, catechism questions that go with that, and I'm going to go through them kind of in a natural progression as we move through tonight's lesson. So I'd like to start by giving you the first question and answer, opening in prayer, and then moving straight into, into my teaching. Question number 72, what is required in the Sixth Commandment? The answer is the sixth commandment is thou shall not murder. I changed the word kill to murder as I hope to prove to you that murder is the word that really is intended here in the English. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for this evening, Lord. Um, God, I come to you um, so unequipped to be as effective on my own as that you deserve, God. But luckily, I'm not relying on my ability here to wow or dazzle people but relying on your spirit to impart the truth to your people that um, you want us to know. God, give me the right things to say. Uh, keep out anything that doesn't impart your truth, God. Lord, I pray over the people here that are listening, Lord, that, um, that their ears are intent to hear the message that you'd have uh, prepared for them tonight, Father. We thank you for so much. Amen. Okay, so as Nick uh, spoilered you guys, We are going to be in Exodus 20, verse 13. Thou shalt not murder. The end. You guys might think, oh, that one's easy. My goal tonight is to show you that, in fact, it was not easy. And that if we look at this uh, commandment the same way that the Pharisees did in Jesus' time, we will be making the same error that they did. The commandment, thou shalt not murder. The word murder in Hebrew is ratzak. There are times when it can refer to killing in and of itself, although here it is referring to the idea of murder. We get surrounding context to help us understand when we are to use the word kill versus the word murder in our language. Numbers 35 verses 16 to 24 is a good place to look at how context help us Helps us to understand which English word we we should use. So we're gonna to go to Numbers t- uh, 35, verses 16 to 24. But if you struck him down with an iron object so that he died, he or he is a murderer. The murderer shall be put to death. And if he struck him down with a stone tool that could cause death and he died, he is a murderer. The murderer shall be put to death. Or if he struck him down with a wooden tool, that could cause death, and he died. He is a murderer. The murderer should be put to death. The avenger of blood shall himself put the murderer to death. Where he meets him, he shall put him to death. And if he pushed him out of hatred, or hurled something at him lying in wait so that he died, or in, or in enmity struck him down with his hand so that he died, Then he who struck the blow shall be put to death. He is a murderer. The Avenger of Blood shall put the murderer to death where he meets him. So clearly we see these first several verses uh, describing the prototypical idea of murder. If we've seen Law and Order or NCIS or any of those shows, we start to see that that kind of guy skulking about ready to do somebody in out of hatred or out of some other – Um, emotion or motive, but it goes on to clarify to us so that we can see that there is a difference between killing and murder, and that penalties can be different uh, based on that. Verse 22, "But but if he pushed him suddenly without enmity or hurled something on him without lying in wait, or used a stone that he could or used a stone that he could ca- cause death, and without seeing him, dropped it on him so that he died, though he was not his enemy and did not seek his harm. Then the congregation shall judge between the manslayer and the avenger of blood in accordance with these rules. So we see that a person's motive here can can very much impact the sentencing of Someone So killing with the intent to do harm to somebody, that's murder. And the penalty for that is death. Accidental killing, and that's taken to the congregation. So you have some sort of body that's sitting over this and making a determination. The passage goes on to explain about placing the manslayer in a city of refuge, describing the rules the manslayer must live by. We don't have time to uh, spend discussing the idea of manslayers and city of refuge, but Numbers thirty-five does go on to speak about that a little bit. It's it's really interesting the rules that kind of went around of what was required of the manslayer and where he could go and where he couldn't go. Um, so in your in your personal time in your devotions, maybe peruse Numbers and give it a look. It was it was really interesting as I went over, but again, it doesn't meet for the scope of our discussion tonight. What is the commandment saying? Well, quite plainly, the commandment is saying, do not murder. God's sixth commandment is a display of God's special love for his creation of mankind, the only thing created that gets the title of Imago Dei. This special status gives man a singular place in the hierarchy of living things. Man was given dominion over all other living things. We are the top of the ladder. We are the apex creation that God made. This makes every human something more than everything else in creation. The deliberate killing of an innocent person is a profound sin that strikes directly at the sovereignty of God. John MacArthur says, To take the life of a human being is to assault the image of God created in man. And that brings about serious penalty. God as creator has sole right on when any person's life ends. Murder is a disgraceful attempt at man attempting to claim the right that only God possesses. Murder has never been acceptable to God. Cain mankind's first murderer was punished by God. The Mosaic covenant has many laws around the unlawful murder of people. The commandment also prohibit prohibits negligent killing. Moses lays out several instances where the penalty for breaking these laws is death. And so looking and looking through, um, some of the old Testament laws, Regarding the concept of murder, I came across five categories that we would we would qualify under the umbrella term of murder. So in Exodus 21.12 and in 21.14, premeditated murder. That is the prototypical murder that we talked about where you're lying in wait to get someone or you're going over to their house or you're going up to them to confront them and to end their life. Also, Leviticus 21, uh, excuse me, Leviticus 2, numbers 1 through 5. Yeah, uh, the sacrificing of children to false gods would be considered murder. God in his book has never asked uh, for man to sacrifice his child, save for, um, save for uh, Isaac. And we can see from that 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 is not something that God has is, is asked man to do. We see no commandment that that is something that is prescriptive for us to do. We see in Exodus twenty one. If we continue in reading in Exodus uh, twenty two to twenty five, that um, the harm or death of the unborn is a is murder. If you do something and it leads to the death of an unborn child, that is murder. Exodus twenty one twenty eight. Exodus twenty one is all about like murdering and getting yours for murdering people. Because if you go through, it gives us uh, some very clear. Uh, explanations of that. And here we see negligence. We'll talk about that later on um, in tonight's lesson. And then one that we would not think of nowadays, but when we really take some time to stop and think about it, it is very, very big. And it's the idea of perjury. So in Deuteronomy uh, 16, uh, 19, 16 through 19, um, if you would bear false witness against somebody and you were found to to be lying, that it was a death penalty for you. And the reason why is because in many cases, the, the penalties for things that you could get in trouble for could be death. And if you were bearing false witness and something that could lead to somebody being, being killed, being put to death by the state, that that punishment would be on you for doing that thing, because it's such a, because your lie was so um, dangerous and so potentially harmful that if you were found out to have been doing that, you would receive that penalty instead. what isn 't the sixth commandment saying okay so in my class when I teach, we talk a lot about examples non examples examples are things that would make sense for the what you 're trying to teach non examples are being given out because they 're showing you what is not something okay. So the the Sixth Commandment is not a moratorium on all types of killing. So we will hear sometimes people who abhor killing in general to look at that Sixth Commandment and not read it in its correct understanding, but use it to cover all killing. And I don't think that the biblical text supports that view. Logically, we have to see that the Bible delineates between murder and killing. Killing in war, the state executing a criminal, and self-defense can all be looked at as not violating the Sixth Commandment. We see God sending out Israel throughout the Old Testament to go to war against other nations and peoples. Israel going into Canaan is, is constantly warring and battling as it is charged to enter the land promised by God, Deuteronomy seven verses one through five saying, when the Lord your God brings you into the land that you are entering to take possession of it and clears away many nations before you, the Hittites, the Girgashites, the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Prezizites, the Hittites, and the Jebusites, seven nations more numerous and mightier than you. And when the Lord your God gives them over to you and you defeat them, then you must devote them to complete destruction. You shall make no covenant with them and show no mercy to them. You shall not intermarry with them, giving your daughters to their sons or taking their daughters for your sons. For they would turn away your sons from following me to serve their gods. Then the anger of the Lord would be kindled against you and he would destroy you quickly. But thus shall you deal with them You shall break down their altars and dash in pieces their pillars and chop down their asherim and burn their carved images with fire. So right from the get go, as God is moving his people into Canaan, there's that very clear idea of there's going to be war and you're going to you're going to be battling and you're going to be killing, even to the point where he talks about to their utter destruction. We see, uh, we even see Saul being guilty of disobedience for not killing King Agag of the, uh, of the Amalekites in Samuel one was the king of the Amalekites, obviously. And Samuel had told Saul that he was to go and utterly lay waste and kill everything, bring nothing back. Uh, but, uh in 1 Samuel 15, with verse 9 saying, But Saul and the people spared Agag and the best of his sheep and of the oxen and the fatted calves and the lambs and all that was good and would not utterly destroy them. All that was, disp- all that was despised and worthless, they devoted to destruction. So God gave, God gave Saul very specific destruction or instruction you're going to kill everyone, you're going to destroy everything, you're not taking anything. Leave it all there, destroy it. And Saul thinking, "Oh, I know what I'll do. I'm going to keep the best stuff and bring it back and I'm going to devote it to the Lord as if he needed to as if he needed to one alter God's plan or two give God something that God didn't need because God owned everything already." And that and that leads into that beautiful passage where um Samuel's talking about that God desires obedience more than sacrifice um and then the end of chapter fifteen ha the end of chapter fifteen reveals Samuel hacking to death Agag, thus being obedient to what God had said, so Agag is brought in, and Agag's kind of super happy because he's kind of seeing, "Oh, we're kings, you're a king, we're super cool, and we're gonna work this out." And Samuel takes up the sword and just cuts down Agag, which is what Saul should have done if he was being obedient. And this is kind of that pivotal point in Saul's time as king, where God removes his favor from it and then is going to place it onto David. So we can see that God would not send his people to be disobedient. God will never give you a direction or a command or an inkling to do something that is outside his scope of of what he has said people are to do and not to do. God also prescribes capital punishment. For citizens of national Israel for various crimes that he hates. We do not see capital punishment sunset in the New Testament. In fact, Romans 13, verses 3 through 4, demonstrate that capital punishment remains within the state's hand to mete out for some crimes. Verse uh, 13, verse 3. For rulers are not a terror to good conduct, but to bad. Would you have no fear from the one who, has, who is in authority? Then do what is good. And you will receive his approval. For he is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid. For he does not bear the sword in vain. For he is the servant of God, an avenger who carries out God's wrath on the wrongdoer. And so we might look at our time and think, well, I don't know that I think that the government is God's avenger. But Paul wrote this in the time where the emperor was in charge of everything. And as bad as I think that we could say that we might feel California is or America is in this time, I would think that Nero um, or some of those emperors around that time would give this, this government a run for its money in terms of vileness and, and evil and corruption. Yet Paul still writes that those people are still placed in that position and that they do have the right to exercise execution. As a punishment for murder. Paul lays out for us the state's right in executing criminals. Going on to state that God uses the state as his servant. So even as we might think that we're sitting under petty tyrants. And in some cases we are. That they are still under God's sphere of influence. And that he has placed them there. And that he does have control over them. We also see that self-defense is also not equal to murder. Mosaic law accounts for the need of people to be able to defend themselves or others from physical harm. So we're in Exodus 22, verses 2 and 3. If a thief is found breaking in and is struck so that he dies, there shall be no blood guilt for him. But if the sun has risen on him, there shall be blood guilt for him. He shall, uh, So we, we have a lot of pronouns here. <laughs> Usually I'm a little nervous about pronouns, but here I think it works. What we're seeing in the context is that if a thief comes in at night and you wake up and there's someone in your house, you do have the absolute right to kill yourself because you have no idea why they're there to kill them. Uh, Guys, I'm running on a little sleep here. (laughs) I'm doing my best. (laughs) Yeah, obviously, we're going to talk about not killing yourself later, if you're not. But if... Somebody comes in and you're not sure what's going on. And they're there illegally. You have the right to keep yourself, your family safe. But the text does go on to say like, if the sun comes up. So if you can clearly see that this guy is here just for stealing, but you decide to, to really get him because you don't want your stuff stolen. That's a different thing with a different penalty. You are, you have a blood guilt for that. And so once again, we're seeing that, God is not giving us a license to just like go off willy nilly. But we do have the right to end life in very specific circumstances. We see here that God lays out that man is allowed to defend himself if he is legitimately afraid that he will be harmed. So that time in the night when you can't tell what's going on or who's there, that is legitimate fear. Seeing exactly who it is and what they're trying to do in the daylight. Was a different thing. God does not give us carte blanche to use self defense as an excuse for vengeance, as we see that God does mark a difference between situations of killing a thief where one leads to innocence and the other gu- a guilt on the part of the homeowner. So we need to always be clear. And now, maybe for us in our homes in California, I think really for us, it would be in our homes as we're not a concealed carry or an open carry state. But it is that idea of there is a difference between what you don't know and keeping your family or yourself safe and getting vengeance under the guise of um, self-defense. We might be sitting back right now thinking to ourselves, I've lied, I might have stolen something, and I might have used the Lord's name in vain, but I know I haven't murdered anybody. On the surface, we might look at this commandment as one of the easy commandments to keep. God has me rightly convicted of the other nine or eight, but not on this one. Not true. You sit convicted of them already, including the charge of murder. Every person except one has broken all ten commandments. You're O for ten. I'm O for ten. You will want to push back against me with evidence of clean hands with no blood on them. You can honestly say to me that you've never used a knife or a gun on anyone. All that is almost certainly true, but you're still guilty of breaking the sixth commandment. I want us to move to Matthew 5, verses 21 to 23, and I want to camp out here just a little bit. Matthew 5, verses 21 to 23. You have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not murder, and whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable for judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council. And whoever says you fool will be be liable to the fires of hell. We're going to sit here for a moment and kind of break this apart and dig in. You've heard it said, should cause you to pause. On the surface, we might read that exactly the same way as it is written. You move through the New Testament and you see Jesus teaching. A lot of times we're going to see it is written. If you go to Luke 4 and you read the wilderness account where he is uh, being tempted by Satan. You will see that Jesus is using, it is written, it is written, it is written as he rebukes Satan. And even Satan attempts to misuse scripture by saying, it is written. Okay, That is a different statement than, um, you have heard it said. You have heard it said is used when Jesus is going to correct errant teaching on, su- on thinking around scripture. We see this idea in our time. How many people have ever heard money is the root of all evil or some other such phrase? It is a misquote of the first half of First Timothy 6.10, which says, for the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. So these misquotes and these partial rephrasings are all things that can get us into um, scriptural quagmires And we have to be very careful about that. In doing my study, I was watching a MacArthur video and he was talking about this passage. And one of the things that he was mentioning about the Pharisees was that for many of them, they were not going back to the original text. During the Babylonian exile, 600 years before, everyone got pulled out and they spent 72 years or so in Babylon and then they were getting repatriated back to Israel and during that time many uh, many people had lost the ability to read the ancient Hebrew and so when they came back they began to use Aramaic as their um as the language that they would read and write in well the Torah was not written in Aramaic it was written in Hebrew and not a lot of people were going back and rededicating themselves to learn the exact things that God had laid out through Moses and the prophets. And they were relying on these oral traditions were were sprouting up and you would, oh, Rabbi so-and-so would say this and Rabbi so-and-so agreed and concurred. And then he expanded and said this, and it was causing them to move away from what God actually said. And they were relying now on what this teacher or that teacher said. It would be like if we stopped reading our Bible and we just were like, John MacArthur said this, Paul Washer said that Joel Beakey said this thing as well. And, and we did that to the exclusion of what God actually gave us. The Pharisees were experts at making the outside of the cup look spotless and the inside being full of all sorts of sins. This is this is one of the woes that Jesus drops on them in Matthew 23. The oral tradition of the Pharisees had infected and replaced Scripture as the standard by which they judged themselves righteous. They could look at the sixth commandment and the seventh, although I'm not going to spend much time on that because that's next week, saying, that they were righteous because they had, not, they had not murdered or committed adultery. This wrong view of themselves was then projected out and onto the people as the standard for keeping the law. Jesus rightly teaches the people and criticizes the Pharisees by saying in verse 20, For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. This would have come as quite a shock to the people but not nearly as shocking as to the Pharisees. Jesus then goes into his, but I tell you, explanation of the scripture. Jesus warns of the dangers of downplaying the commandments prior, to verse, uh, prior in verse 19, where he says, therefore, whoever relaxes one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. We would be wise to listen. The Pharisees looked to themselves as the standard by which the people were to be measured against rather than God. They began to put themselves in place of God for the people to look at at them as the standard bearer. It would be the same as if Paul or Nick or Ross stood up and kind of made themselves be what we should aspire to be. It would be the antithesis of Paul's statement, um, be imitators of me as I imitate Christ. Their focus was off. They were bad teachers, and they were teaching bad things, and it was infecting the people. People want to downplay their guilt and play up their righteousness. I, I teach. I catch kids doing naughty stuff all the time. Half my job is being a cop or a prison guard or a warden or a parole officer. And sometimes I teach math. And most, almost always, when somebody's caught doing something that they're not supposed to, they try to downplay, oh, Mr. Kutcher, it wasn't a big deal. Oh, did you see what he did, though? Or, oh, did you hear what she said? We want to do that. I have, I've got several kids in my house right now. They're good kids, but when they get caught doing stuff, they, they shift. They want to put that blame off of them, onto something else or just off of them. I do it. You do it. We all do it. We see this from such teachers as Joel Osteen, Benny Hinn, Stephen Furtick, and countless other wolves in sheep's clothing. If they're telling you, oh, you're, you're, you're doing good. have a better life. This is what you can do. And they're not talking about you're in sin. Your sin is constantly around you like a cement overcoat weighing you down. If they're just not laying that out for you and they're just talking about this other stuff, they're giving you garbage. It'd be like if you went to their house and they were just serving you like rotten food. That's the, That's spiritually what happens to people that sit under teachers like this. Scripture calls us away from this attitude. As believers, we are to see our sin rightly. The Pharisees were making their outward appearance look real good. Most of us can rightly say we have not physically killed anyone. But they stopped right there. They viewed it as a checklist to prove their righteousness and not a mirror to expose their unrighteousness. These Pharisees... And many times as well, us too, look to the external as evidence of our internal spiritual victories. The outside is very easy to clean and cover up so as to put on airs of godliness. The very thing inside us that drives forth all sorts of wickedness is the very same place that tells us that our outside proves us to be godly. Jesus, let's try that again. Jesus shows where the act of murder originates, the human heart, Matthew fifteen nineteen, for out of the heart comes evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false witnesses, slander. The Pharisees' checklist mindset towards the very moral law that flows out from, the ho- from a holy God was broken. This caused them to ignore the anger and hate that reside in us all that can in some lead to murder is what we need to battle. Our hearts, friends, are what we need to battle. Just looking around and and I haven't killed anyone ever. That's not enough. We have to look inside. Well, what's behind that that idea of murder? And it's anger. And all of us, have that inside of us. Raise your hand if you were angry sometime in the last month. Yeah. This last week has been one of the best weeks of my life. I haven't hardly been angry at all. I've got to sit and play with a baby since Monday evening and it's been really dope. But there have been times in the last month where I have just been seething with rage and that and that is where we are to be focused on when it comes to this idea because that anger spews out in volatile ways, and in, and in some people, that volatile way comes out with the, with the murder of another person. I've heard from some who want to give Jesus credit by saying that he changed the scope of the commandment. No, that's wrong. Jesus never changed any aspect of the law. Jesus was not breaking new ground in the, in the discernment of the evils of the human heart. If we go back into Jeremiah, we can see that the Old Testament is very clear about, about the, uh, the, where evil is coming from. Jeremiah 17, 9. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? Jesus points out that the aspect of the law should have, what the aspect of the law should have been the whole time. He's pointing out how the very people who should have been the ones pointing the people to these, to this concept were blind guides themselves. He's pointing it out to you right now. Look inward. Is there someone in your heart that you're angry with right now? They may or may not even know what they did to you, but you do. We'll see later how to remedy this. So that leads us into question seventy-three. What is required for the sixth commandment? And the answer is the sixth the sixth commandment requires all lawful efforts to preserve our own life and the life of others. Quite simply, every person is accountable. To uphold the sixth commandment, the Decalogue is not for believers only, it is for the world. We, as individual believers, a church, a city, and so on, are accountable to the sixth commandment. The sixth commandment is a clarion call for us to all be pro life people. God created life, He made man in His own image. Life is precious, it is given by God. Every life ever has value. Because it came from God. Ephesians five twenty eight and 29 gives us words to this sentiment that so many intuitively know about themselves, saying, verse 28, in the same way husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. So we're seeing this kind of, you should have care for your wife as you do for yourself. No one's questioning that they should love themselves. Almost nobody. And we'll talk a little bit about that later. But we all here do a very nice job of keeping ourselves alive. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh. But what? But nourishes and cherishes it. Just as Christ does the church. We have heard tales of the lengths that people have gone to save themselves from disaster. So there was a movie about 10 years ago, James Franco, where a big boulder squishes his arm and then he's got to like cut off his own arm to like escape. And to me, I don't want to see blood at all. So that would already freak me out. But it does speak to the things that people will do so that they can survive. And almost every person, there is a just innate desire to be alive, to live, to keep yourself safe. And that any time that there's not, there's a serious issue there. Why do people do this? Because deep down inside of each of us, we see that our own lives are precious. Some are blinded to why they have that feeling. The person who believes in evolution, who thinks all of this just came about by chance, still places their life as something special. How much more then should we as believers knowing that we are made in the image of God, of, of the God of the universe, love life, and wish to remain alive till he calls us to himself in glory. This call to life also extends to others. So in First 1 Kings 18.4, it shows us the lengths that Obadiah went to save a hundred of God's prophets. And verse 4, it said, And when Jezebel cut off the prophets of the Lord, Obadiah took a hundred prophets and hid them by fifties in a cave and fed them with bread and water. Obadiah Obadiah saw that if he did not do what he did, innocent blood would be shed. Our own lives are not just precious, but every life is. Obadiah was safe. He could have just let Jezebel kill more men. He could have even tried to justify it to himself, but he didn't. He put himself at risk for a greater good. So we see that like life is precious, even to the point where we will see people that they will lay down their own lives to protect other people. Law enforcement is a great example of it. They will do what they can to save life, even at the risk of their own. A parent will do the same for their child. The pro-life movement here has a good grasp of how precious life is. Brothers in this room have gone out to the local Planned Parenthood to call people to see that the human that they are, that they may be walking in there to murder is in fact a real person and worthy of life. Many of you have donated to causes to save these lives or have gone to marches to loudly and clearly call abortion for what it really is, murder. We've seen people gather resources and places for mothers who are soon to give birth a place to live and a chance to get on their feet. And let's be clear here, you're not a mother or father the moment that that baby pops out. The birth of a baby is the nine-month marker of your motherhood or your fatherhood. When you do these things, you are taking the sixth commandment to its righteous conclusion. And then question 74, what is forbidden in the Sixth Commandment? Answer, the Sixth Commandment forbids the taking of our own life or the life of our neighbor unjustly. Inversely, the Sixth Commandment forbids us from murdering or unlawfully killing another person or ourselves. And so there are four sections that we're going to quickly kind of break down about what we are not allowed to do, what we are forbidden from doing. And the first and the the most direct is murder. We are forbidden from murdering someone. Restraining from physical murder for us is probably easy, but the hard attitude of anger and hate is where we must be ever vigilant. God provides us with a defense for this. If you have something against somebody and they've wronged you, Nursing that grudge and watering and feeding and pruning it like a bonsai tree is the absolute worst thing that you can do. Go to that person. Talk to them. Tell them what happened and how you feel. Do this when you're not angry. Write down things that you want to remember. Go with a heart of wanting to mend fences and reconcile. This is not a time to come with a loaded gun, physically or verbally. Matthew 18, everyone talks about that as a church discipline section. But that first step is so important. Verse 15, if your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he listens to you, you have gained your brother. God gives you this for your and the other person's benefit. If someone comes to you saying that they have a charge against you, please listen to them. Take what they have to say seriously, especially if they come claiming to, or especially if they come calmly to talk to you about it. Doing this is one of the hardest things for many people to do. Harboring bad feelings is easy. Coming to reconcile is hard. That passage is in there, not so that we can just try, oh, I didn't like when you did this to me and you're not listening. And then I go tell Nick and then Nick is going to solve all my problems. No you wronged me and I didn't like what you did and it it's a barrier and I know I shouldn't have that barrier with you. It's a, it's a view of the long term for the health of a church. When you've got something against someone and there was some bad blood or there was something that was wrong, you just pushing it down inside and just, Oh, it'll go away or I'm going to ignore it or wrote that person off. That's that is like cancer inside of a church. We are pulled here together with gifts and we are to work as one body. Don't do that. Go to them. If you have to write down just the same way I wrote this script, if you have to write down so that you can say exactly what you want to say and you go there and you share and you, and you talk to them, that is healthy for the church. That's how adults solve problems. Don't harbor it. Don't go to one of the elders and tell them that what's wrong without saying, I did. Want, I, I went to speak with them. If you're not sure what to say, go to the elder and ask, can you help me figure out how to let this person know that this situation happened? But then go do it yourself. Win back your brother or your sister. There's too many people from the outside trying to wreck what we got going on inside for us to be wrecking the inside. The second thing that we are prohibited from is abortion. We should at all times be against this form of murder. The Christian should no, should no further be for abortion than they should be for putting a gun in the face of an innocent person and pulling the trigger. Don't support politicians with your vote who either are pro-abortion directly or who try and justify it with wiggle room in words. The getaway driver is just as guilty of murder as the bank robber who shoots the security guard. If there is a business that is out and proudly supporting abortion or abortion organizations, do business elsewhere. Let them know why you stopped dealing with them. Let them know, I'm not shopping with you or doing business with you because you support this vileness and it's wrong. I'll take my dollars someplace else. And that doesn't mean that we're going to always find perfect businesses that are ran by Christians that um, are exactly in line with our values. I wish it would. I wish there was Christian amusement parks, Christian plumbers, and to be sure that there are in some of these things. But when you see an organization or a company going out of their way to be vile in such a terrible way, the only thing that a Christian can do with the money that God gave them is to divert it someplace else. If you participated in an abortion, I'm not coming in to kick you. That sin was against another, as well as God. If you count yourself saved by Christ, then that sin, as well as all of your other sins, were heaped onto Christ's shoulders. Christ suffered and paid for that sin, just like the rest. Live in forgiveness. You are not under that sin anymore. You are 100% forgiven. If you're here and you don't look to Christ for salvation, that sin will be paid for. Christ doesn't negate sins. He just takes your sins. So every sin will be punished. And if you are not calling on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ to be your savior, then you are dead in your sins. Repent. Believe. His forgiveness covers every sin that we have and will do. Negligence is also a violation of the Sixth Commandment. Negligence is unlawful killing. It is murder. And you might think, well, I didn't intend to do it. Well, let's look and see why it is is still murder. Just because one did not plan to end the life of another does not mean That what they did still was not murder in a biblical sense. Negligence happens when we do not take care of our fellow man or for our fellow man. When we do things that negatively impact others without thinking about them, that is negligence. Texting while driving and drunk driving are examples of how this kind of murder plays out in our society today. If you're texting while driving or drunk driving, stop it. That's sin. You are being negligent with other people's lives. I've seen firsthand the disastrous effects when someone decides to drink and drive. If you do these things, recognize that you are in danger of being the murderer we see in Exodus 21 verses 28 and 29. So we're going to move back into Exodus 21. And we're going to see how negligence does have the same penalty that out-and-out out murder is. when it. So verse 28. When an ox gores a man or a woman to death, the ox shall be stoned, and its flesh shall not be eaten, but the owner of the ox shall not be liable. Okay, so your ox gets out, and he gores someone, and they put the ox down. Clearly, you didn't, like, trick the ox into going and getting somebody. Okay, it's an accident. You're good. But... Let's look at 29. But if the ox has been accustomed to gore in the past, so for some reason you keep this ox around who just keeps like goring people with his horn. Like, I'm not sure why you would do this, but you're dumb if you do, so don't do it. And its owner has been warned, but has not kept it in. And it kills a man or a woman. The ox shall be stoned and its owner shall also be put to death. So this is not just your typical accident like we saw in Numbers 35 in that second half of that passage where I'm carrying a big stone and it falls and it squashes a guy. This is you knowing, oh, I have something dangerous here. People have warned me, hey, you better not. You got to be careful with that. Yeah, yeah, whatever. And you brush that off. You don't take it seriously. And then something really bad happens. You're on the hook. You are a murderer there. In our society today, we might like, oh, that was uh, manslaughter. I didn't really intend to murder, murder that person. But that's just man's standard. That's 21st century America standard. God's standard, The the only standard we should be living by, describes that accurately. That's murder. Suicide. In today's culture of cheap life, suicide may seem in some places as not a crime at all. This view is outside of what God describes for people. Nobody should actively try to end their own life. The Bible does not endorse or prescribe that for anyone. Killing oneself, just like murdering another, is sin. The sin of suicide is not an unforgivable sin, as some might claim in our culture. But to be clear, it is still a serious sin. God gave you a precious life. You should not end it. That is you taking up the mantle of God. That is not yours to take up. We must be sober-minded when it comes to this topic, as it can be complicated by our ability to keep the body alive with the help of science and technology. As Christians, we must balance our love for the preservation of life with reality. It would be a sin for you to end your own life because you get a diagnosis of early-onset dementia. However, I don't think that it would be a sin if you were suffering from late-stage brain cancer and you issued a do-not-resuscitate medical order at the end of your life. To be sure, these are weighty issues that need prayer and discernment to navigate. The people of God have the Holy Spirit to support us during this potentially very difficult time in one's life. Believers have also been gifted with elders to help help walk with us through these troubled times, offering support and guidance. In conclusion, God alone should be both the giver and taker of life. We need to see both our own and others' lives as worthy of living. We must stand unapologetic against a society that seems to have traded away the sanctity of life so casually in exchange for expedience. And I'll take questions. I'm going to go to Henry, and I'll hit you up, John. Uh,
1: Henry had his hand up first. Yeah. He did
0: punish him. You're right. He didn't kill him, and it was not something that I delved in... um, For this lesson, it's something that I could look up and I could talk to you on Wednesday or next Sunday morning. Um, But yeah, I think in the past, I had held to the idea that I don't think the state should kill people. Because I think it would be better that they sit in the slammer and rot there forever. I have no problem with them staying in forever and never getting out. And that in that time that they they, they would have an opportunity... To hear the gospel and to repent and become a believer. But over the last few years of really learning and really hearing brothers talking about this, that God is sovereign and the executing of a criminal, of a murderer, is not in any way outside of God's control. That God still is sovereign over all life, even that of the murderer. And if in his in, in his time, he's decreed that that person should be executed by the state, that that is legitimate and right. So that is not um, murder. That is the state, the, the government, doing the doing the will that God has placed them there for. So it is legal. It is morally correct.
1: And to clarify, we don't just get to go out and murder, murder. You know, it's, something, it's something that really the Lord is – to governments, too, so that we have an orderly way by which they have a fair trial, evidence is presented, uh, presented, and then if they're found guilty, then they need to be held accountable for their crimes.
2: Yeah.
0: Did that answer your question, Hank? Yes. Awesome. John, and then Ross. And then, guys, I'm super blind, uh, so if you, want, if you have a question, get it up high. I see John right there, and then I'm going to go to Ross.
2: should be the penalty for abortion if just If, if somebody no,
0: I think it's negligent. I think you are not. You're no one who texts and drives and then crashes and kills someone intends to kill that person because you you never know that person. But it is still. It, I mean, it, it is the same. I in God's eyes, I think the result is the same. People. The same. Yeah. Yeah. I mean we don't do that nowadays and I know for a fact that drunk drivers can kill people and get 7 years rather than death. Right, I don't but I don't think texting while driving is an accidental thing.
1: So It's not just intentional but it's also like negligence means that you took a great risk that you shouldn't have taken. And so there is a greater responsibility. Like yeah, it's different than I'm driving down the road and the kid rides his bike out in front of my car and I didn't even see it coming and I accidentally run him over. There, that's completely manslaughter. But like when we're talking about like if I'm out driving drunk and the kid's riding his bike and you, know, you know on the street and I'm flying through the neighborhood at fifty and I hit him, that, that's different than the person. There. Yeah,
0: you didn't intend to kill that kid, but you still did it, and and it could have been avoided
2: of used to be more in this country more Maybe see some that they like So still
0: Yeah, I yeah, I mean I I mean, I mean we might go around on that. I just think you we all inherently know that looking at our phone when our 3,000-pound vehicle is moving at 50 miles an hour, that just is inherently unsafe.
2: Right. But people mess with their tape deck. Right? You don't have tape deck deck. mess with their navigation screen and crash right. the somebody. I mean You know, same concept. Right? I mean, right? If you mess around with anything and you're negligent when your eyes are off the road, right? I still think that I don't see you know, murder is intent. We think murder one, right? Mm-hmm. one is really a violation of of, of the system. Right? Someone For sure. premeditatedly goes out and takes someone's life. So I'm saying that, that is, it doesn't fall into the same category in my mind because that person, whether they did it, um, whether they still took life, it comes down to intent is how that person is, is usually uh, kind
0: of Yeah, I might there. push back and be like, we know, it's, we, we know it's dangerous. We know it's not a good idea. So doing it puts some added risk into driving, which can be a dangerous thing if people are around and you're moving a 3,000-pound vehicle around very quickly. I would, I would just say that we don't want to put that risk that could kill someone when that's so small. Like the benefit of it is so small versus the, the impact that it could have.
1: Yeah. two separate categories. It's just like to the same. Of I think it might be a distinction, too, because it's not in the King James version says you should not kill. So that when we understand the original meaning of the word, there's a variance in meaning. And so, obviously, when you're texting and driving, you're killing someone. right. It's not exactly
2: murder. For sure.
0: go to Ross and then in the back and then over there.
1: Which I think is still
0: a man putting him to death.
1: Not I'm not ridiculous. picking
0: who I want to kill for sure, like but I'm...
1: Penalty because doing anything really wrong, I would
0: I would argue that that's not negligence. That's an accident. Right. right yeah. Right. I, I I I think it's but pretty clear that. Oh, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. I, I yeah. I think that that all those things do get worked out within our justice system within the congregation. However, that was defined back in national Israel, and that God gives us the tools to be able to kind of see that was an accident. That was negligence. You straight up killed
1: that dude. But the main point that, that I was making up front was uh, for, for a person who says that nobody should ever kill anybody, uh, that would not be because God said so. Because God says you shall take the life of somebody if for sure. you murdered somebody. And that's it. It's just it's two different kinds of taking of life. For sure.
0: Alright, let's go to the very back and then we'll go to Tanya and then we'll go over there.
1: Yeah, I think um, you know obviously texting is something that's really been only run for twenty years
2: possibly. But you know, uh whether I I w I I want to go that far is really for, I uh, I mean like John said, you know, you you take that uh a uh, tracking whatever you're doing, but I mean
1: how far do you really want to go with this? I mean, because it's it, you have to go harder to see.
0: I guess in my personal opinion, I would say if you're being negligent and you're eating soup or you're like putting on makeup or using a hairdryer and your focus is gone, I think you are in the same boat as the person who, in terms of, in terms of your effect on another life, you're in the same boat. And I think that in God's economy, that is the same kind of killing, I think. No, I'm not arguing for the accident. I, I, use, the, I use the same – essentially the same passage from Numbers that, that, that says the same thing, and there is, a, there is a delineation between those things. I'm not saying that there's, there's accidents, there's negligence, there's murder. We see those things, and there's, there can be different penalties or no penalties based on what, what is determined the cause of that.
1: <laughs> I'm going to save
0: this part of the, uh, of the, the message.
1: It might, a, it might be a little bit of a distraction. Is that, is that, is that enough to, to cross the line? Or, as John mentioned, the Apple Play, or you filling with your stereo, putting a new, uh, whether it's the 8-track it
2: and then a CD, and now it's just having to go through the How about
0: the this? Probe. What about combing
1: your hair? Well, okay. I, don't think
0: what about point, I don't think the
1: point of tonight's discussion, though, is to really determine every instance. That yeah. well, that's my I think point. the heart of it is, that, that, is my that we need to respect the image of God in man, and that means don't take risks that could put somebody to death. Right. right. And that's my whole point with that line right. of questioning: is that we can't really start heading down the road of of, of legalism. Yeah. Um, How, what intent is the intent? there's no grace. Look, I would just say, you know, not everything is expedient and convenient for us, right? Or, you know, like, that quote in Corinthians, everything is hope. Yeah. But the thing is... a sandwich behind the wheel, but we are aware that you can get pulled over by a cop locally if that sandwich eating is just way too distracting. So some people can drink a drink, no big deal, look down to
2: I mean I agree with
1: that because people can be I mean if
0: you guys are all fine with Mr. Kesser driving and texting while driving, then then we could just move on. Like, yeah. And maybe I maybe I'm not the best bringer of this message because I don't do it at all, because I, I know I can't see. I'm just I'm Guys, I'm just bringing you what I think is true and like a way that we can see it and apply it in our lives today. So let's go to Tanya and then let's go over that way. Uh, You
1: mentioned just earlier that there was one instance that God commanded
0: Other of Are you talking about Jephthah? Yep. I would tell you that Jephthah made a vow that was a sin and instead of repenting for his sin, he murdered his daughter. That's where I would go. That was not biblical. That was... that. I, I would say that that is descriptive and in no way prescriptive and Jephthah murdered his daughter and... <laughs> yeah. Or something else. But what he was not doing is being obedient. Yeah, that was murder. Nice and loud so I can hear. Is suicide being counted as murder? I would would say yes in that you are killing yourself. And it's unlawful. God does not give us a... um, we, we don't have any place in scripture that says that that is acceptable so it is you are murdering yourself. it is a sin, it is wrong Right for sure and, and, and I, I mentioned that in my in my lesson where there's a huge difference of finding out that you have early onset dementia and that could play out over several years.
1: Mm-hmm. but a schizophrenic man who kills somebody thinking they're a government agent is still a murder right. so, yeah. so when you have a situation where somebody is depressed and they devalue the image of God in themselves to the point where they're willing to kill themselves let's uh, not to say it's an unforgivable sin because the power of the cross is greater Yeah. but that would still of a it's a murder too because you don't have the right to kill yourself God's still even though right, it's so- even though the person is in extreme agony, because they can't seem to pull themselves out of this depression. yeah, you know? there's, I mean, they can't pull themselves out, yeah. but they've they, they exhausted every resource to lift the depression from their lives, and that they only because there's so much pain.
0: I have a lot of compassion for that person, but there's not going to be a place where I'm going to say that that is not murder. You're murdering yourself.
1: There's, typically, when you say somebody's exhausted every resource, typically... Depression. One of the ugly things about depression is it keeps you from exhausting the resources that are there for you, and seeing the, the benefit and blessing of learning from um, it. So I, I would just always to listen that. But you know, sadly, there are situations like this. I did a funeral for a young kid who, you know, professed Christ and had up like three months and down, got in fight with his dad, and mom, and closed his shop. Yeah. Um, that was a sin for him to do that. And many people hurt as a result of him taking his own life. Do I believe he's in heaven? Those who trust the Lord, their sins are crushed on the cross uh, differences like still in heaven. But it doesn't keep me. Right. Yeah. <coughs> not I'm not saying that yeah, I'm just I'm just trying to point that out to try to understand that and that, for me personally, when you take your own life it, it is a form, of self, it's a form of pride and it's a form of selfishness. Well, what about King Saul? Yeah. yeah, he threw
0: himself on his own sword.
1: It wasn't really, I mean, he, he was in a... a Technically, he had something to do kill. He's like, no, 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 he didn't. His sword bearer was killed, so he fell on his oh, own sword. Yeah. But, he, you know, he was in a futile situation. His... Uh, because if I don't kill myself, not only are they going to kill me, but then they're probably going to go drag my dead body through the street and stuff like that. It's you know, a yeah. kind of, kind of garbage to, to de-glorify God. And uh, MacArthur wrote a note that this, uh, the, uh, the notes are not necessarily inspired. John MacArthur usually has great insight. Saul's suicide is the ultimate expression of his faithfulness toward God at this moment in his life. It's a footnote on that episode. I don't know, sometimes I'm I'm thinking, you know, we're we're splitting hairs or we're trying to to come up with that line, that dividing, I mean, what are you going to do? You're like eight seconds away from dying and I just don't want to go the way they're going to make me go. And I realize, okay, well, maybe they'll spare my life. You know what? Uh, you know, I have a tidal wave coming at me and I'm, I'm just about to perish or if I'm, I'm free falling from that same 50 story building and I hit the 20 or I go, I'm at the 25th story and say, well, you know, this is going to be a real quick end here. Um, Am I allowed to just put myself out of my misery like right now or do I have to I think
0: if you wait it? about eight point two seconds you'll be put out of your misery and you won't have to worry about it. if
1: you had a gun in your hand.
0: I I'm gonna doubt that you've got the time to do that. But I am I'm gonna move to John and then I'm gonna go over
1: there.
2: A very emotional thing I think a lot of times but I think our society is deteriorated by making judgments on emotion right it's mm-hmm. like oh yeah. Yeah. you go from well this person was sick this person was a product of their own environment mm-hmm. to where you mm-hmm. move more to go right mm-hmm. and so you know the tough decision I had to about 11 years ago was to not let my brother drive, because he had smashed in so many different on medication. And then when he wouldn't take it. It's just a matter of time before he kills me or my whole, whole family or everyone around You know,
1: so just hearing that, you know. Well, really, so you did the exact right thing that Exodus 21 was right of a yeah. morning object.
2: You basically fixed the object. So that's yes. that not kind of yeah. you Absolutely, because he would threaten me. He would get off his medication. He would say, you're going to get caught And I said, no, I'm not. because car was in my name. That woman's in court. You you couldn't kill that person in their family. I'm not doing this. Mm -hmm. And he still tries to pressure me. Even this day, like I I went there the other day, he said, oh, I got someone who will let me put a car in my I need you to go buy I said, I'm not in that car for you to try. You must be out of your mind, boy. And so I think that these things, you know, being experienced around people who have schizophrenia, I'm dealing with one right now. It's just terrifying. I know I'm going to have to put this one out of this place. She's got three small children, but she is very much not there. And so we're dealing with this stuff. you got to use hard, sharp, <clears throat> clear, or else you will know, cause a lot of trouble. So, For sure.
1: So switching gears, mm-hmm. uh, the, the comment there about kind of the, the value of a newborn. So in the mm-hmm. Chinese corporate right? I cannot year. speak to the Chinese culture. <laughs> 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 uh, but I thought we would actually add, so if you're a 10 year old, right, you count it as 11 because we consider the time of the moon as the right? And so those of us that are older or women or whatever, we may you know, not appreciate that vantage point, but those of you guys that are, you know, I don't know, Adam, 17, it's like, hey, I'm 18, or 20, I'm 21. Know, that, that's a, it's kind of a different perspective.
0: Yeah, definitely. I think that would be a a more accurate, a real, a more real view of life is that my daughter's birthday is May 7th. But in reality, her real birthday was probably in July sometime. Yeah, for sure. For sure. You didn't raise your hand to quiet. <laughs> nice and so I can hear you. And then it would be, cause us a, a string of everyone, and then finally everyone would be dead at the end. No, because the Bible does the Bible does give us the difference between murder, which is unlawful killing, versus execution, which is lawful killing under the state or a government. So if I go into a quick stop, shoot the clerk, and kill him, and then not in California, but other states the 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 government says you you're going to be put to death for that we're going to kill you. The state that puts me to death for killing that cashier man they are they are not only not murdering they are fulfilling they are fulfilling God's role for them by executing a murderer so those are different things.
1: you murder
0: someone and the law takes you your life and murders you their law you're not the state doesn't murder you they are killing you but they are not murdering because they have the authority to do it
1: Does God say they have
0: the yes yes I would say Romans Romans 13 which I quoted talked about that the they do not hold the sword in vain that they are God's servant and they are allowed to. We see all the way through the, the the books of the law that 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 Moses tells the people if this person murders that person you they can be killed. So it, it is different. There is there is just like in war. I would say that in war, you a soldier who is fighting in a war is not murdering people in the course of a battle. Now there could be murders in a war, but the war in of itself is not. Murder in the sense that of going like a quick stop and killing something. So I would say they are, and that's what I was trying to avoid that altogether, <laughs> because they're because I would argue that what
1: you're correct,
0: right? That's why I, I I wanted to avoid that.
1: <laughs> John. Question I would have would be um, how did Jesus when he's talking about you've heard it
2: said how was that quote a misquote of Exodus twenty and then secondly if, if um, the law itself was specifically more than about murder
1: but it had intentionality about anger why was it the explicit thing about anger and hatred and rage also put in, in, in Exodus twenty so so basically two views right did Jesus take the law and kind of carry it to another step about the, the law as it, was, as it always was. And i I'm kind of them, I'm saying. It always was like that. Why then? Number one, was And then number two, everything that he says about murder.
0: It might not have been a mis... mis- let, let me answer the first one and then give me the second one because I won't remember okay, them both. Sorry. The first one... Your first question, it wasn't a misquote in the sense that they were quoting it wrongly. It was a misapplication because they weren't applying it to its to its correct ending. So it was being misapplied maybe not misquoted but they certainly were not so, so going sorry, to the end that right,
1: so God take one into together so if yes, the understanding of those that you shall not kill somebody takes on this like physically literally right
2: like, unlawfully then the question is even though I can have seething with rage i still haven't broken the law because the law is explicitly about taking it.
1: So so then again, I, I I'm totally in agreement with the ultimate conclusion or kind of the, the pinnacle of the new cause of, of, of I mean, the sin that is long range. Well, because the question is this, right? If if you have if we have hatred in your heart, right, that's like committing murder in your heart. I'm just trying to make the point of the distinction that I'm not sure to see that in Exodus itself, right? Like when we look at Thou shalt not commit, Thou shalt not kill or murder or lawfully. There's nothing specifically about murder of the heart. That's there, and so I guess what I'm trying to wrestle with is Jesus's use of the Old Testament law. Is it a one for one? Are there aspects for sure that he's bringing it up, bringing out? But it seems like that would be above and beyond what's kind of literally in the text on the tablet. Too. And that's my thought. Right.
0: If I think if I think I have what you have, what you're saying, right? Let me see how I answer it, and then tell me if that makes sense. I think that like when you see in like I'll go back to my numbers section that I was using, like it's talking about um I think I think that it might not directly say it, but I think it's definitely implied that you're going out of your way to kill someone. So you're it's not just an accident, it's not just in the heat of the moment, like you're lying in wait for them. I think that's pretty easy to see that we can extrapolate that your your heart towards that person is there. So I don't think it's it, it's so in
1: this part we're still in agreement. Right. I'm just saying, so this guy's still got this seething, right? He wants the other person to die, but he doesn't actually physically carry you out. So in that question, simple. he hasn't he has so that question is what has he has he, has he his the has broken the sickness? So I'm just giving you a hypothetical break. Right? Right? So I want somebody I hate somebody so much I want them to die, but I don't actually take their life, right? Have I broken the sixth? So, if you look at it from the Sermon on the Mount, the answer is a clear yes, right? Matthew yeah. 5. If yeah. you look at it from the Exodus 20, it's just not obvious to me that, that well, this, the sick man yeah. uh, I of think with my thought on that, I mean, I would say you've broken that law, right? Uh, because even, even when we look at the adultery law, right? It's like, well, I tell you, if you lusted a woman with your heart, you know, you've committed adultery already. So, you know, I think that Jesus is those deeper issues of the stage, right? Like, for, we didn't, we didn't, we didn't, I agree all of that. So again, there's a cleft here, right? Everything to the right side of this cleft is Matthew 5, right. and then everything to the left would be Exodus and Deuteronomy. That, that's, and I'm just trying to say if there are one for I, I just have a hard time seeing a one for one. And right. so when we say Jesus didn't expound or take it to the higher, I, I know the attraction of that view. I, I get it. But I'm just still thinking like, right now. You a Pharisee could have honestly said I've never taken a blade to anybody's throat. Um, I have not. Yeah, so I have not unlawfully taken somebody's life.
2: Right? Uh, Absolutely. I'm still and under well, well, the
1: authority and judgment of Israel and the government that was established yeah. in Exodus 20, yeah, they're right. right. Yeah, yeah. But but those laws themselves flow from the character nature of God, who is the ultimate authority over every establishment. Right. So so if we
2: have this question again, I'm in agreement. that So we're
1: basically saying that. They're accurate enough. They're not guilty on the left side, right? According to according to the You're right. And you can't take somebody to jail, put them on trial, and then convict them and put them to death for right. wanting to kill someone. Right. Right. Or even just be here. Right. But God being a perfect judge can see the heart and is saying, Look, there's still blood guilt on you from uh, a divine standpoint, right? For sure. But that seems like a different you know? teaching. I think there's, there's a terrible story. law itself, so, right? I it's just there's, no, there's clearly smoking that's different, right? well, they're they're exactly they, Additional as about, there was no additional revelation that's given, right? You're giving the other viewpoint that Jesus did kind of take the law to you know we often hear it like, takes it to the um, untamed degree, right? So that there was additional revelation that's given. I'm just saying, kind of, so so we all know like that's on the table, the cards are on the table, right? Those are the two kind of basic views on was there something additional? That's why I said it was kind of like a slight pushback to that. If there was nothing, again, I'm not, I'm struggling through this myself, right? So kind of like if we're just saying there's absolutely Them a bit. Uh yeah. but it just sounds like for something that's as so simple as thou shalt not hate again, uh, i get it so i'm obviously asking a hypothetical but to me that would have been consistent with both the hard attitude and therefore if you don't hate you would not commit unlawful
2: killing <laughs> and that's so older than you would that's that's is, is giving you the law after God's told you know who he is right it's, it's a reflection of who he is so there will be no sanction for it. you shall not hate god's not going to go around and say hey you hate this person you should let them be letting me put to death right so i think it's jesus
1: Flows from that second commandment. I understand. this is specifically about unlawful killing. So, right? so, again, I don't disagree with any of that. I'm just saying this is specifically about unlawful killing. John, don't, don't ask a question just on the sixth commandment. Ask it about the, the entire New Testament. Why the, the Old Testament is holy? God didn't make a mistake in anything that he wrote. Why did he add more? Yes, a right, it it mean, wasn't there before, and no one had read it before because it wasn't written before. So, yes, it's new revelation as far right. as why. it
2: is night, I'm not sure. Day. I'm not sure that everybody agrees. Know, has mm-hmm. that same John, seemed, John seemed to know. I mean, when he first John, same apostle, right? John. We're not talking about John. John did not have New Testament to study off of other. Comparables when he said what he said, I think that there were some, just like today, um, I'm sure Steve, you know, being in church longer than I am, he's going to have a better understanding of some things that I wouldn't, or vice versa for any of us. We're all going to have a different level of understanding in different areas, right? So I think as was the same back then, I think some people had better grasps of certain things. So when John wrote that, I don't think in any way that contradicts what Jesus was teaching at that time, right? So John had a correct understanding that goes right back to what Nick is saying, right? The negative view of it, right? So if it's to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself, well, the opposite of that would not be to love, it would be to hate, right? So I think that uh, Jesus was correct, and obviously in the Antichristian period, like uh, Steve was quoting MacArthur, he helped me a lot on a lot of this stuff, like where they were giving a lot of this. Well. You know, well, you don't have to really love your parents, you know, you can just do this whole temple thing, or, you know, the wife burns the dinner, and the, then you can divorce them. So, you know, these teachings have crept within the people of God, right? And so, I think Jesus was doing away with that, giving an accurate understanding, which some of them already yeah, No doubt, and we all, we all know this. I'm, yeah. I'm saying a ton of agreement, right? This is preaching the right? Me I mean, agree. we all agree on this.
1: Again, it's just a very specific thing about it. Was the specific sixth commandment
2: in Exodus 20 broken? That's that's it. That's just very,
1: that's just very simple. We've covered that in some potato box, and then if you want to talk some more, we can have a talk a little bit longer. But uh, Stephen, thank you for teaching. Would you close? Us okay.
0: Father, thank you for this evening, Lord um, God. Um, the discussion that flowed out of the lesson that you provided for us tonight was um, was great, Father. Um, God, I know that it really did open my eyes to just how precious life is. Um, just having a new baby in the, that you blessed us with, um, really is just evidence of how special and precious life is. God, I, I, I'm awestruck about, about that. God, I love you so much. Um, I know that everyone here does. Lord, we thank you for everything. Keep us safe and Lord willing, we return here next Sunday for, the seventh commandment. Amen. Amen.